Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us Raiding for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to The Stages Podcast, conversations with creatives about craft and career. Vicky Jacobs has developed a reputation for her ability to get anyone to sing at their best, from Australia's top music theatre stars to the nervous novice. Early participation in community theatre ignited a passion for performance and music, allowing her to develop a breadth of skills in rehearsal rooms and on stages. A variety of experiences in music departments provided an entry to the professional musical theatre sphere and key roles in the construction and maintenance of such product. Vicky has filled accompanist, rehearsal and MD duties with shows that include Come From Away, Beautiful, the Carol King musical, Singing in the Rain, Les Miserables, Wicked and Strictly Ballroom. Vicky also loves to get people singing. She is the founder and director of Glee Club, Melbourne's hippest sing-along choir with new chapters recently arriving in Hobart and Yarraville. Stages enjoyed a long overdue catch-up with Vicky, where she espoused the glory of singing and the path that has led her to championing such activity. That's on. It's on. Now we've been recorded. What, what, what will I say? I hope I don't say silly things. Have I told you about when I was on Million Dollar Minute? The game show. I love game shows, so right. I've been on like millions of game shows. You've been <laughs> as a contestant? As a contestant. I love it. Right. And um, Million Dollar Minute was recorded like super early in the morning, like eight o'clock, and Matilda was a tiny baby, so I was very sleep deprived. And the question was, what's a Spanish st- soup starting with G usually served cold? And I was like, well, I know. Press the button. Said gherkin. And as soon as I said gherkin, I was like, what am I? Gaspacho. Of course it's... I couldn't believe it came out of my mouth. <laughs> I just said gherkin. Don't know why. Who was the host? Uh, oh, the man who used to do like the sports reporting on the Seven Breakfast Show, Simon. Oh, Sabon. right, yes, Simon Reeve. Simon, well done. Simon Reeve, and um, what other quiz shows did you uh, I did um, Million Dollar Minute. I did um, Hot Seat Millionaire. I did Temptation. With Eddie. Yeah, uh, yes, with Eddie. Did you win anything? No, uh, I've no. answered more questions than lots of people. Right, but. Not, you know how you just have to be the one in the seat at the end? It's a game of chance, isn't it, as yes. well as general knowledge? Yeah. I did Temptation, which was the reboot of Sale of the Century. I won lots on that. Great. That was Ed somebody, wasn't it? Yes. Right. And I did Greed, which was a short-lived Kerry Ann Kennelly-hosted show. Really? Yes. And that I was really made a terrible mistake and essentially lost a hundred grand for the whole team. No. I know. And then, after you filmed it, they put you in a little room... To just hang out while they film the rest of the episode, which isn't fun with three other people that you've just lost, lost a substantial them. amount of money with. So there's about four or five game shows there. What, did you walk away with anything? Yeah, I think Million Dollar Minute, I think I won three grand. And Temptation, I won 
like 11 or 12 grand of cash and prizes, like right. quite a bit for one morning's work. Yeah. Yeah. What about the chase? Oh, yeah, I've done the chase. You have done the chase? Yes. Right. Uh, and I got to the final chase, but we didn't, we didn't beat the governess in the final chase. Anne. 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 Yes. Well, I love the She's chase. She's a bit fab. Me too. Mm. Love it. Uh, in, um, during Come From Away, we had a real tradition of watching it in the green room. It was a real... And you get a double banger of the chase also because they've got the English version at about three o'clock, I think, That's and then right. the Aussie version at five. Yeah. Love it. Mm. Love it. Well, hello, Vicky Jacobs. Hello, Peter Wright. Here we are live from Melbourne, yeah. which is great. My, my visit down in Melbourne. Um, I have to say, it's a bit cold. I, it wasn't earlier in the week. Right. It was really nice, but yeah, I apologise on behalf of Melbourne. You don't have to, but <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Well, it's nice to see you. There's, um, there's been a lot of water under the bridge. Um, I don't think I've seen you since you were literally knee-high to a grasshopper. Well, I think it probably that's probably true. Yes, yeah, in, in the Ballarat days. In Ballarat, we're both Ballarations. Yeah, this proves my theory that the whole world actually connects through Ballarat. It's actually the centre of the world. So there's six degrees of, se- of separation, isn't there, between us and anybody you care to name? You know yes. that game that you can usually find. Oh yes, the absolutely, Kevin Bacon. Right. Yes. yes, exactly. That that one as well. And I think the same goes for Ballarat. I think so too. Absolutely, in this industry. In Australia, for sure. Why do you think there are so many people who work as performers, as creatives, as showbiz people um, that come from Ballarat? Look, I'd be interested in your opinion on this too. My opinion is that it's sort of the perfect size because it's big enough to do things quite well and have an audience. It's got the beautiful Her Majesty's Theatre and lots of resources but it's not so big that you get lost in the mix. So, for example, I got to play rehearsal piano show for shows from when I was 12, yep. which is sort of ridiculous, really, and an opportunity I don't think I would have had very easily in Melbourne. And at the same time, I, could, I was performing in shows and playing for some and sometimes doing both and, you know, all those things. So I think it's just the, the sweet spot for size. You know, you go much smaller country town and the quality isn't so good. Yeah. But, you know, I guess too, sorry, now I'm really riffing on it, but you get quite good people who move to Ballarat in search of lifestyle. So the musicians in Ballarat are actually fabulous. They're like there's some yeah. fabulous musicians Teaching in Ballarat. Teaching in schools and just That's right. And you can gigs. see why they've moved there because life is easy. You can make a good living. You can still play with other good musicians and just kind of rock along. So I think you get these good opportunities that I don't think I even fully realised at the time. And the schools there have terrific music programs too, I think. Incredible. Yeah, I went to Ballarat Grammar and we had a wonderful musical program and I had so many opportunities to play in all sorts of different types of ensembles. And yeah. But it harks right back to, you know, great opera singers like Mari Collier and Elsie Morrison were all born in Ballarat. You know, yes, well, maybe that is the something in the water theory coming through then because yeah. I don't know if the schools were as good then, yeah. but maybe they were. But there's two you know, very healthy community music theatre companies. There's a, yes. a community theatre company um, and there has been many that have come and gone over the years. So it's yeah. a very artistically thriving community. It I really think. is, yeah. I went and did a workshop at um, uh, this uh, one of the music schools there that Paula Hena runs and... The teenagers who sang for me were jaw-droppingly good. 
you know, and I will learn with Connie Lemke for, you know, all those years as so many people did. And there are so many people who were having singing lessons before and after me who I still see in my life, you know, working in the industry or teaching or all around the place. And like me, you would have had the great privilege and joy to perform on Her Majesty's stage. My I favourite. Mean, beautiful old theatre there on um, Lydiard Street. Absolutely gorgeous. And the home of the Royal South Street Society, which... I guess that's another point too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I know, like Eddie Perfect, who you interviewed, like he talks a lot about flight hours. I heard him talk once about flight hours. Like when you're a pilot, you have to fly so many hours before you're allowed to fly the plane on your own. And I think that's very true with performing that the more you do of it, the better you get at, it's really managing your feelings, isn't it? It's really managing your adrenaline and your mind and being able to do it. And we just got so, I got so many flight hours in my teens through South Street and community theater and school. And I was just forever on a stage doing something. I love that concept also. And, and in those environments also, you're given the opportunity to experience a whole range of roles in the theatre as well, whether it be backstage or in the pit on That's stage. right, yeah. I definitely, you know, and if people were short on people to sell programs or people to run props around the place, I was there with my hand up every single time. You know, I'd do anything that kind of needed doing. I just yeah. liked hanging out at the theatre, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's very addictive. Yeah. It's something I find a lot in my coaching with singers that they don't really sing much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they sing at auditions mm. and every now and then there'll be, you know, an event or whatever, but they're not just getting on their feet and singing in front of other humans often enough. No. Like I think that's a real kind of problem. And I've tried a couple of times over the years to put together ideas that kind of address that. So I ran a thing for ages at the butterfly club called show pony which was really, in my mind, for people to try out new material, to put things on their feet and kind of test it out. But what it turned into was everyone just singing their party piece because it's always nice to do something that you know you do well already. Mm. Um, And I've had an online project over the last year that's been really beautiful called Song Club, which is like a Monday night Zoom, but everyone sings a song for each other. And that's one of the things that people have said, like just getting up and doing it every week, a different song every week has just pushed them further forward than almost anything else because it's just that flight hours thing. you just got to do it you've got to You've got to work out, don't you? Yeah. It's like going to the gym. Yeah. You can't expect to do the splits if you're not doing stretches yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So flight hours, I have a new uh, understanding of why you're so good at words with friends. Oh. It's the uh, quiz show fixation. I yes, think. But also is. you've had, obviously, many, many flight hours... On the Scrabble board. Mm, this is true. I love a game. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We've spoken about, you've beaten my ass many times on Words with Friends. <laughs> um, but it's it's a terrific game, isn't it? A terrific app on your phone to keep in touch with, you know, old school friends and workmates and, and show folk who it's are touring great, all around the, the country or the well, world. In- when we were doing Come From Away, it just sounds like I hung out in the green room the whole time, which I pretty much did. But um, we played Bananagrams. So have you played that? No. Bananagrams. Oh, look, we might have a game after if you want. Is it an app? Then? No, it's, no a it's a real life with... Around the table. It's a bit like Scrabble, but you make your own crossword with it. Right. And it's super fun. And when we got locked down last year, we continued playing online. Yeah. But, you know, like, um, I ran into one of the domies this year. And I said, oh, I met you before. We worked on Come From Away. 
and they kind of looked at me like, uh, not much. And I was like, Vicky, not much. I was, like, I was the assistant musical director, nothing. I said, I played heaps of banana grams. And they're like, oh, of course, I know you. I was like, oh, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you probably shone a light on me <laughs> and still didn't notice it was me. <laughs> now, can you recall the first words that you ever spoke? Has oh. a parent ever told you that this was your first word? I, no, I don't think I'll have to ask mum. I'm sorry. I don't have an answer to that. I assume it was mum and dad. My daughter's was mum, dad, then iPad. Right. Which is worrying, isn't That's it? That's a concern, isn't yeah. it? Mum, dad, and iPad. <laughs> no, it's always, always fascinating because vocalisation is such an important human expression, isn't it? Whether we're laughing oh, or crying yes. or speaking or indeed right up your alley, singing. Yeah, that's very true. And um, I do know that I didn't shut up, you know, when I was little through to present day. Um, yeah, I was a chatty child, but I don't know exactly how or when that started. Right. Mm-hmm. Why is it important, do you think, for people to sing? It's a really incredible form of personal expression. And... It's fascinating how personal it is. Like, for example, you know, I'll coach piano players and I'll coach singers. No one ever cries in a piano playing coach, in a piano coach. But people cry often in singing. There's something that really kind of connects deep down. To the soul. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I find is um, people say to me a lot that they were told once when they were young that they couldn't sing. And so they didn't sing. Yeah. Whereas, like, can you think of another thing? You know, if someone said to you, you can't cook. You'd be like, well, I'll probably still give it a go. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you can't ride that bike. You'd say, oh, well, you can think that, but I'll probably still try and ride a bike. But you, but with singing, you go, oh, okay, okay. I just won't do that. That's not for me. And then often years later, they discover that, of course they can, because 99% of people mm. can. And you don't have to be good at it to still get that experience of expressing yourself well, that, well, and that, that feeling re- that release of endorphins too i think yes. you feel good when you sing you feel you? good absolutely yeah. and we all know that because we all wind up the car windows and belt out a tune in the shower but for some reason we limit ourselves on doing it around other people and and the endorphins you get from doing it with other people yeah. is doubly as much as on your own i'm fascinated by that the healing properties of singing i mean you think yeah. about um Dementia patients, Alzheimer's. Yes. And the one thing that they can remember is melody and lyric. Is music. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. I mean, um, there's a the reason for that is that the is that your brain actually uses a whole lot of parts of your brain when you're using music, including the emotional centres, and your it's connected sometimes to your sense of place, and that's why often music can bring back quite strong memories that maybe you you weren't really accessing earlier. So your brain is actually doing really quite clever, amazing things and music lives in all kinds of different That's bits true. Of you, it. You'll be somewhere and you'll hear a song and it'll take you directly to a place or a time. Yes. An event in a much life. more um, complete way than someone maybe saying, remember that time? Or, yeah, it really, it sparks a whole lot of things. So um, there's a really great book called... Um, Oh, what's it called? This is your brain on music, I think it's called. That kind of explores all that that I'm, I'm reading at the moment. That's really fabulous. Um, but yeah, it does. It takes you to all those things. And so you know, there's a there's a beautiful documentary called Alzheimer's the Musical. Yes, have it's, you seen that? Lovely, yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's a man who doesn't know where the toilet is in his house anymore, but he can sing all the words to Frankie Valli's uh, "Can't Take My Eyes Off You." Yeah. yeah. 
I figured that would be me one day after all the Jersey Boys I did. <laughs> I won't know where the toilet is, but I'll be able to count you in perfectly. <laughs> so when was the first time that you sat down in front of a keyboard? Uh, I, from when I was very little, my grandma played keyboard piano really beautifully. Um, and I've got an older cousin who's also a professional pianist who I admired greatly. You know, always look up to the big kids when you're a little kid. And we had a piano in the house and dad played sort of everything. Dad could play guitar and piano and sort of any instrument you gave him, he could make music out of. So, you know, there's a photo, there's a photo of my studio of dad playing guitar when I was a little baby just sitting in the beanbag. And so really, I think as soon as I could reach the piano, I was playing. Um, and I taught, and there were a couple of books around. I taught myself some things before I started lessons when I was about seven. And then once I started lessons, I was obsessed, really. So it was a musical household. Very musical yeah. household. Was, did mum play any instruments? Mum played piano when she was little. And I think she's still quite cross at her parents because they put the piano in the garage and it was cold. So she quit. And I think she feels like she wouldn't have quit if it wasn't cold every time you went. And I totally think that's a valid reason. Um, but she's very musical. She sings really nicely and, you know. How was your first teacher? Were they encouraging? I mean, I started piano and I think I stopped because I had a terrible teacher. Oh, yeah. I think that's a lot of people's story. I think because you're in a room with a teacher for half an hour and if you don't love them or at least like them, you know, get along with them, it's a pretty miserable half an hour. And if you do, then it's a really fun half an hour. Um, I had a beautiful teacher for the first couple of years and then we moved to Ballarat when I was 10 and I had um, Gwyneth Bennett at school who was just fantastic. And then in my last couple of years, I had Pauline Pigeon, who you oh, might remember. Right, yeah. yeah, Pidge was great fun. She used to like go and hang out the window and smoke a cigarette <laughs> and just yell in, hey, major, faster. <laughs> a bit like the um, Billy Elliot's dance teacher. Yeah, I absolutely. Yeah. She's very much <laughs> in that school. She had a little white dog with a pink stain on its head from where she kissed it all the time with lipstick on. Mm. <laughs> she was hilarious. She was so much fun. So you're born in Melbourne, but but the folks moved up to Ballarat. That was yeah. because of employment, or yeah, I think they wanted a tree change. Yeah. I think um, they were working really hard to only just make ends meet in Melbourne. Dad was a lawyer, and Mum was an architect, and they felt like they were just running themselves ragged. Uh, and we moved to Ballarat. Dad got a job at a law firm there, and Mum had always been in love with Ballarat because she's a heritage architect. So it's pretty much and um so and I think it was the best thing they ever did um when they told me I was nine and I was a bit confused because I thought that meant we were moving to Sovereign Hill so I thought it was a terrible suggestion. You're going to have to wear those old dresses. I know. School's going to be aw- What are you thinking about? <laughs> um, uh, but then it was just, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. I really think that. They quickly embraced the local art scene. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think actually what happened was I heard a friend of mine at school auditioned for Gypsy and I was like, well, I'd like to do that too. And then I got into Gypsy as baby Louise and then Dad was like, "Oh, this is fun." So, so I had think he not done any? He hadn't really before, done right? community theatre before, no. Um, and I think he figured he was driving me all the time anyway, so he might as well join in. Right. So he then got into shows, and you know, I think he was vice president at the Light Opera Company for a few years That's right. there, and Chicago, and yeah. the Music Man. He was in the um, Barbershop Quartet. Absolutely. And born on May second. Born on May 2nd, same as me. Same as me. Did there you, you know? Go. <laughs> did, did you remember that? I just remember that, yeah. 
in rehearsals or production, there would always be a birthday cake that Pete and I would share because of yeah, May oh, Tooth. May, May Tooth. Tooth. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you lost him at an early age too. Yeah, he died of cancer. He was 58. That's, way too young. Yeah, shocking, mm. shocking. Yep, loss, a massive loss. Yeah. And what does that do to you as as an individual wanting to uh, I think not have that guidance anymore? Uh, well, of course, it would be. I mean, he was pretty great. Like, I feel um, that he was always pretty clear. Oh, look at me go. He, he was always pretty clear about what he valued, and he passed that on very well, I think. Um, and I think those values were things like community and just living a kind of happy life. And I think um, I'm quite. I think I'm a bit carpe diem because of it. You know, he did a few things in those last few years that he'd been meaning to do for ages, like go overseas and do a big long bike race and, you know, all sorts of kind of random things. And I'm just so glad he did. He was rallying cars. And, you know, I think that's a good way to live, to go, well, you don't know what's happening next. And so if you want to do it, do it. If you want the holiday, take the holiday. Yeah. 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 Good. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to upset you. Oh, just, no, no, no. I just, it's funny, isn't it? Like, does, yeah. I, I lost my I'm dad, upset, dad yeah. five years ago, and it surprises you how you begin to go down memory lane and think about them or whatever. And it does yeah. set off something because yeah. we're only human. Yeah. We miss them. But I wanted to honour him because he was such a lovely bloke. He was a great guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Special. So, um, high school, you're, you're finishing your secondary education. Um, is, is your university showing any? I went any? to, I got into arts music at, Melbourne. So obviously a career in the arts was an aspiration. Yeah, yeah, but I couldn't quite figure out how to get in. I think that's sort of one of the interesting things. There wasn't really anyone who could advise me how to kind of... I wasn't quite clear on where I wanted to go. I just knew I wanted to work in theatre. And I didn't really quite understand what the jobs were. So I went to Melbourne as a singer. So I did two years of classical voice with Mel and Quaife at uni, um, which was actually super handy even though I realised about six months in that I wasn't really going to be a singer, I didn't really care enough, and I really, you know, I just didn't practice enough. And um, and I was already working quite a lot as a pianist, so I was already getting a lot of gigs and doing stuff around the place. So um, after a couple of years, I got two jobs, that well, one with Young Australian Broadway Chorus as a musical director with them, I think I was the main musical director with them, and I was in a band called the Jelly Bugs that was like a kids music band that was kind of touring around the place and I left to do that which I think sort of probably shocked some people but in retrospect was a good move because then I started really kind of moving towards more playing and I was doing more chapel chapel shows butterfly club shows all that kind of stuff where you really start to cut your teeth I think on performing and figuring out who you are as a musician and all that stuff so I'm glad I did. And then I went back and finished. Um, I've got an arts degree and a graduate diploma. You know, I did bits and bobs. So you were in quite broadly in a, a number of different roles and yeah. saying yes to everything, I guess. I think in those early years, saying yes to everything. And I think, I still don't know really how I broke in, except I was saying yes to everything and a couple of people noticed and I got some depth jobs in shows and... Then, then the doors started to open. It's quite a tricky corner of the industry to break into the music departments. So, yeah, I think it was just hanging around enough. And tricky as a woman, do you think? Or Look, has that never been an issue? I, I haven't felt it to be an issue. Right. 
And it often takes me by surprise when I look around and go, wait, I'm in a band of all guys again. I've never felt like it's really held the door shut. But at the same time, I've always been someone who's had lots of guy friends and I've always fit in pretty well to that kind of a world, if that makes sense. Um, But I would totally understand if sometimes women didn't feel that way, particularly young women. Um, I had a couple of good mentors. Kelly Dickerson really looked out for me a lot in the early years, which was really wonderful. Um, And I was very lucky. So she was a great, and she was a great role model too. I think like she was really doing it. She was, you know, really playing hard, you know, and a great, a great MD. So I think that was probably helpful to have that, you know, if you can see it, do it thing right there in front of me of someone who was really doing the kind of work that I wanted to do, you know, and who took the time to look after me a bit. Yeah, Kelly's extraordinary. Obviously a great musician, but a great human being as well. There's Absolutely. All sorts of things that contribute to you getting hired again, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. I mean, you've got to, you've Get got to be good people. to work with. Yeah. yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's not like I really, and the more shows I do, the more I value that kind of um, experience of working with the cast and the band. And that's sort of where I really, you know, I love the birthday cakes and the games and the, you know, like I think that really, because especially when you're doing a long, a long show, it matters. Yeah. <laughs> you have to hang out together so much that it matters that you all get along and, you know, have some things to kind of take your mind off just doing the show over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it's unlike any other workplace, isn't it? I mean, you are in very intimate surrounds. Yeah. uh, yeah, Well, I did like a a thousand shows of Jersey Boys and we were literally in a cardboard box. Like it's because the band are in this um, like sort of plywood box for sound reasons. And so it is just like all of you in this little box yes poor old bands and orchestras are crammed into the most it's unique weird, places stage or in a corner or under the stage yes. or in another room absolutely yeah. it's so odd so you need all that other stuff to be nice because the playing music bit's fun yeah so we want all the other stuff around it to be fun too and i suppose once you're in there you're locked in there for uh, two and a half hours that's right yeah. absolutely so if someone's giving you the shits it's no fun <laughs> <laughs> So you're garnering flight hours in a whole lots of roles and, and, and garnering experience. What's the, the first gig, uh, meaty gig that really looms and, and how do you get into that? Which, which, what show are you uh, The first show I, like first professional show yep. that I was yep. in the pit for was Wizard of Oz uh, with Nikki Webster in the no. lead. And... You're not... Yeah, I'm that old. But I was in it. Were you in it? Although I did the Sydney season, I didn't do Mel- we oh, Melbourne. Oh, I only did Melbourne, and oh, I just right. depped. Yeah. Because I was going to say, it's no wonder that we, uh, it's a surprise, we didn't cross paths at that time. But, yeah, um, oh, they were in the different cities. Yeah. Yeah, I just depped, and I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, they were very patient with me. Mr. Casey was very patient with me, I think. And, um, but it was, I was just so excited to walk into that stage door at the Regent. Like, it was so special. explain to the listener, what, what is a DEP? Oh, so when, so how um, orchestras are usually constructed in musicals is there's a musical director who conducts most of the shows, but a couple of shows a week they sit out the front and note the show and have a listen, and they'll have an assistant who will jump in and conduct at that point. And the assistant does lots of other work too. They'll work with the understudies and 
run warm-ups and do anything that needs doing musically. But when that assistant jumps up to conduct, we'll get a depth pianist in to play the keyboards that they would usually be playing in the orchestra. Because Kelly was deputy MD, wasn't she? She was, yeah. and then Anthony Gabrielle took over. Right. Um, so, yeah, and that's how, how that came to be. Uh, so there's often a lot of work for keyboard players in particular filling in on shows, doing two or three performances a week. You have to be a pretty good sight reader, I imagine. Yeah, and you have to sort of... But you know what? It's actually... It's, you've got to be able to figure out what's going on with the orchestra. You've got to figure out how to kind of fit into this particular orchestra because every orchestra plays a little differently and every show has different musical demands. So it's about that stuff as much as anything. Um, yeah. An appreciation of style. You know, whether Jersey Boys and Wizard of Oz are two very different shows. That's right. I think that's Australian music theatre in general. You have to be really onto style. And when I work with students, that's probably my main focus is really being able to articulate what changes about your musical approach across different styles. Is it generally the the keyboardist which who graduates to the MD role or the conductor Often, role? Often, that's a fairly usual path through. Right. Is yeah, because the um, MD or particularly assistant MD needs to be able to play well enough to play for rehearsals and usually play in the orchestra as well. But more and more with musical directors in Australia, that musical director chair is also a piano playing chair. Right. So Come From Away, Beautiful, Jersey Boys, all those shows the musical director played as well. And Beautiful, you know, a huge, massive play as well as Conduct the Band. Wow. Mm, you Carol King. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, it was Esther Hannaford, wasn't it? Yes. So was she required to be able to play keyboard? No. So it was all mime. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, very so, well mime. She did a yes, very good job. The illusion of theatre. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, and the the conductors like right in front of the front row they can see very clearly and often you know if I was conducting the show and playing all those Carol King bits the people in that front row behind me at the end would say was she really playing and I'd think did you not think to look over the edge <laughs> I'm right there so you were the sound of Carol King when I yeah well Daniel Edmonds Daniel Edmonds mostly was right, and right. I was a couple of shows a week I was Carol King yeah the fingers of Carol King brilliant well I, I note that you've been associate Musical director, assistant yep. musical director, yep. and deputy musical director. What's the difference I between don't all know. of those? No, just for some reason on some contracts, they. Right. I sometimes mean to ask this. There's really no difference. But you're all fi- you're filling the same role. Absolutely so. the same role. So, what would your duties be? Uh, playing in the pit, yep. conducting the show, rehearsals, working with the singers. Yeah, lots right. of rehearsals, um, and particularly covers and understudies, helping them be ready to go. So they're often my special team. Um, they, they'd be the main roles, running warm-ups, any public... You know, sometimes we arrange things. Um, Luke Hunter and I um, did an arrangement for the carols, last real carols in 2019. Um, for coming from away. I mean, the last yes, carols was, was real, but you know what I mean. There was that hiccup. I just don't 2020. count 2020. We yes. just ignore that. Um, time forgot. So things like that sometimes, yeah. Great. Well, you've amassed quite a number of, of shows, Singing in the Rain, Jersey Boys, Beautiful, Wicked, Les Mis, Xanadu, Strictly Ballroom. Um, yeah. uh, Hugh Jackman's Broadway uh, to Oz tour as well. You're in a terrific vantage point to observe the construction of these huge commercial productions too, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're so I mean, lucky. you're there from auditions too, I guess. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, not yeah. always. 
Um, yeah, it's really, you really know the show from inside out by the end. And often we have the original creatives from the, usually the US, sometimes the UK, come out and work with us. I haven't had the chance yet to do a big show that's constructed in Australia. You know, I feel like I've worked with some of the most amazing directors and musical supervisors in the world, absolutely. Um, and what I'd really love now is to have a turn at an Australian piece and actually start putting it together. Yeah. That would sort of be what I'd love to do. Mm-hmm. And and MD, have you had opportunities to sort of take that role if you oh, want? Or I've been had offered some those? nice offers. Uh Life at the moment doesn't always sort of allow for that. You know, I'm a mum and I know there are other mums who are doing it. Laura Topoki is doing it brilliantly at the moment with Hamilton. Uh, but for me, the offers and my life haven't quite come at the right times to match up. But maybe in the future, who knows? Yeah. And that's, I forgot about Laura. Yes, of course, Laura as well and Vanessa Scammell. So there are some great women out there Absolutely. in those roles. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Lucy Birmingham yep. has been doing it as well, which is, is terrific. Um, of course, the other great love as well as doing commercial musicals yes. is your glee club yeah well that's the other reason why sometimes i don't want to take md roles because i have this beautiful um choir business that i adore and is super fun uh so it's a essentially it started off as a choir for people who didn't have time to be in a choir so you just buy a ticket it's at a place with a bar so often it's the butterfly club or but we have more venues around melbourne and hobart now um, you grab a drink, you come in for a sing for an hour, I teach you all the harmonies, you know, we do a warm-up, I teach you all the harmonies, we sing three songs, we all go home. It is just fantastic fun. And I think, um, you know, harking back to, like, uh, asking about the values of my dad, I think that would be one of them would be, like, trying to make the world a better place. Yep. And I think sometimes with musicals, it's sometimes hard to see that. I mean, every now and then you get a nice show like Come From Away where you're like, this show is making the world a better place. But not all of them fulfill that. And Glee Club really does. You know, you leave the 40 or 50 people who've rocked up feeling better about themselves and about the world and, and able to kind of access that thing that makes us feel really human in a really easy, fun way. What's the first rule about Glee Club? Uh, you can't talk about Glee Club. No, um, you do you is the Glee Club rule. Yeah. So, like, sometimes I'll say this side of the room is singing the harmony and this side is singing the melody. But if you don't want to sing that part, you sing the other one, that's fine. So you do you. And I always say, look, you don't even have to sing. If you're not ready to sing, just drink your wine and until you feel ready to rock. And The Dutch courage. That's right. Just yeah. join in when you're ready. And, uh, you know, singing is just so personal and different people kind of approach it in different ways there are some people who've been singing since they were tiny kids and it just feels supernatural and some of them it's a really big step to open their mouths for the first time people use it glee club in all sorts of different ways like i've got a couple of ladies who were original cast members of jesus christ superstar who are really regular gleavers um a dear friend of ours who's a fantastic singer from ballarat um people who like I've got a um, daughter and her dad, like she's in her 30s and her dad, and they use it as their catch-up. Like, oh, we'll go for a sing and, you know, grab a meal. Let's not go to Pilates, let's go to Glee That's right. So it's really wonderful and joyous. And then out of that, um, I've got a sort of more of a choiry choir for the people who want to do a bit more than just drop in and sing every week. And they're a really wonderful group of people too. And they really stayed together 
through that pandemic year, we ran that online and there actually have become a super tight knit group of 35, 40 people because of that time of really... Was it difficult to run a choir during online during COVID? It took a bit of creative thinking. Yep. We did some really fun stuff. So I what I did, there's an, there's an app called Acapella. I don't know if you've seen that, where no. you can record basically like videos that track on top of each other, musical videos. And so I got um, a couple of great, a few great singers. Matt Haywood helped me out. Sarah Morrison helped me out. Um, Jensen Overend helped me out singing on all their parts. So then I'd teach all the parts on Zoom. Everyone's muted because otherwise, you know, it's all wonky. and Everyone's muted. And then I put on the video that I've made of all the parts together and they actually get to try it out and sort of experience it in harmony. And it was really good fun. Look, it doesn't replace singing in a group in a room. There is nothing in the world that will ever replace that. But it was enough to kind of get us through. And in a way, some of them have improved lots and lots because you get to sing without anyone hearing you. So you sing differently, don't you? When you're like, you know, just have a crack. You don't hold back. You don't judge yourself or censor yourself so much. So it's actually been really interesting to then have them back in the room after that year and they're much freer and more open vocally I would say and they've been um, emulating really excellent singers so yeah we love that that. (laughs) so you founded the the choir about 15 years ago yeah that's right so so what was the reason for doing that that was Um, because I'd had that I kept having this same conversation with people where they said oh you're so lucky to work in music um I, would, I, I sang so much at school and I was in all the choirs and I loved it. Now, there's no way I could join a choir because, you know, my job is too busy. Or and a lot of those requires, and, uh, require, the choirs require a uh, big commitment, don't that's they? That's right. Yeah. And, they, you know, if you miss three rehearsals, you can't do the performance. Yeah. And, there, you know, there was... So there was a lot of people saying, you know, I just can't do that. And also, choirs have their own kind of culture sometimes you know and different choirs have different cultures but it's really hard sometimes to find the right fit yeah um so i think i just kept having that same conversation i was working i was doing a lot of shows at the butterfly club i was doing hips of cabaret at that point and i said to them would you be interested in me running like this weekly thing and they're like sure tuesday night knock yourself out <laughs> nothing else is going on and i was only getting maybe like nine or ten people a week um, and then, including Dad, who used to like, <laughs> really love it. Um, one week I got 12 and I was so excited. And now if I got 12, I'd be devastated. I'm like, where is everybody? But um, so, yeah, it was just really because I felt that there was a missing link in the opportunities available to people yeah. to participate in music. What's, what's the repertoire that you do? Pop and show tunes right. all the way. Great. Yeah. Great. That's <laughs> yeah. what we want. Yeah. And you write the parts for all those? Well, yeah, yeah, I do the arrangements and right. um, and they work. Yeah. So I think that's something I've gotten better at over the years, like a singable arrangement that everyone can jump in and find something that works for them in it. Yeah. So there's no membership. It's it's very much a drop-in yep. activity. Yep. You just rock up, grab a ticket, grab a drink at the bar, join in, go about your life. But you've got Glee Plus as well, haven't you, where people can... That, that leads to that's a performance. That's right. So that's yeah. that group that we ran online last year. So that one, you sign up for maybe like 10 weeks um, and then we, we do a performance. So we've actually got one. We've got a season finishing next weekend. 
and they're performing at the Botanica Festival at Ripon Lee on the veranda of the mansion. So they've put together this beautiful set of kind of gardening-themed nice. music and and perform that. And that's really lovely too. I had this interesting chat with a lady the other day about... Um, she's a teacher, about we're all obsessed with the idea of fun, but actually there's real fun to be had from doing things well. Yeah. And I think that's, that's how Glee Plus happened is that there were people who were coming every week to do the drop-in and they're like, well, this is fun, but we do different songs every week and I'd like to actually practice and get better. I was like, oh, that's very valid. So that's kind of how this came to be. And they're, and they're really excellent. They're not auditioned or anything, no. but they practice and they love it. And I think because they feel free, they sing really beautifully. Mm. So, but yeah, that excellence is fun. Performing excellence requires hard fun. Yes, yeah. hard fun. It's That's fun, a really good term. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And yeah. I think sometimes, particularly with kids, you know, we forget that giving them the opportunity to be excellent is is fun. You know, that's what actually builds your sense of you and your sense of achievement and yeah. gives you the really good endorphins. <laughs> and you want to go for about an hour also, don't you? Which is, I think, is an ideal time. I think so Perfect too. Time. Yeah, just an hour. Maybe, you know, sometimes I'll spill an hour five, an hour ten, but it just... You just come along and have a sing and you're done. It's And also, I work quite fast, so there's no time to be bored. Like, a lot of people say to me, it's the only time in their week where they don't check their phone. Great. Yeah, because there's no time to grab it. And you to sort of stay in the moment, to keep up, you have to sort of stay there. Yeah. And I think that's so good for people. So they actually kind of experience that sense of flow a little bit, that sense of, I'm so busy doing something... I'm not worrying about the other things in my life at the moment. And I think that's the same thing people get in the audience of a really good show, you yeah. know. I judge a show by my desire to look at my phone sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, yep. And Netflix, a five-minute rule, if it hasn't got me in, then because there's so yeah. much content to, that you can choose from. I that's thought, right. Well, if you haven't got me in five minutes. That's right. Next. I've only got so many hours yep. to watch this. Like, <laughs> I better watch the good stuff. Yeah. Tell me about the big sing bonfire where you taught 3,000 people. Oh, that's Or led 3,000 people in well, singing. I sort yeah. of did teach them, I guess. We, um, Hobart had this wonderful festival in July that's worth going to if you haven't been, called Festival of Voices. And it's a big singers festival and they have workshops and events and gigs and the sort of centerpiece of the whole thing is they have this huge bonfire in Salamanca Place. So they set up a huge stage. They, last time they had two big bonfires and they have a whole lot of performers perform, but it's really about the audience singing. So uh, I think that year we did, I've done it a couple of times, but that, the first year we did Happy, the Pharrell Williams song, yeah. and taught them the kind of two parts and had the whole audience singing. And so throughout the night, I kind of teach them a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, until the grand finale of the whole thing is everyone singing the whole song. Right. It's fantastic fun. And it's cold. You know, everyone's in their North Face black puffer jackets and um, rugged up. And it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great event, a great community event and bringing people together. You must feel like a, a magician or a, a great... <laughs> Powerful it's quite fun when you sing muse. something at a big, you know, group of people like that, yeah. and they sing it back to you and hear it back, yeah, yeah. and hear it back, yeah. But it's just an wall. extension of what yeah. I do all the time with mm. Glee Club. Anyway, I guess you know you get better at it as you, yeah. the more you do it. Same now, as anything. Now, have you had your bubble tea today? I haven't had a bubble tea. I'm down to just bubble <laughs> teas on Fridays, or I'm going to really? be, yeah, you know, 
What's so great about it? I, I must admit, I've never tried one, but I believe that you're a big fan. I'm a big fan. You should try one. This right. should be a, your Melbourne activity. I right. mean, there's plenty in Sydney too, let's be honest. So is it just a, a cold black tea with bubbles? Oh, you can have it? them like, you can have super sugary, like, all fruity flavoured green right. teas. Like, right. I'd say, look, for a beginner, I would say go a passion fruit green tea. It's like a chilled iced tea. And get a pearl in it, which is just like a little bit of kind of tapioca jelly business. Mm-hmm. But so is this the new generation slushy, a slush puppy? Yeah, I think maybe it is. Except they're really overpriced, and I'm starting to worry about their environmental impact with um, cups. So I need to solve that for myself. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I'm fascinated because I'll, I'll run a rehearsal at school, and we'll have a, a lunch break or, or whatever. Yeah. And these bicycles will appear from everywhere because the kids have got online and ordered their bubble tea and they'll be delivering just a bubble tea. A bubble tea? Yes. Really? Hysterical. Hysterical. Oh, that is hysterical. They should at least like buddy up and get them delivered together. <laughs> um, that's great. I haven't thought to have bubble tea delivered yet. Uh, that's Oh, I hope step. I haven't put something in your head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Glee Club, if anyone listening wants to participate, oh, yeah. you've got, have you got a website? Yeah, or? gleeclubsinging.com. Uh, and we've got a, a few different venues in Melbourne. We've got Yarraville and Brighton and the city. And we also have a bunch in Hobart, which the wonderful Amanda Hodder takes. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, and she's, you know, one of the absolute best. And, yeah. Are you looking further afield, New South Wales or Queensland? Or? Maybe. I sort of was before COVID. And then this year, obviously, we've had to reduce our numbers and space. And I've just decided to kind of give myself a little rest on it on any kind of moving further afield yeah. this year just kind of take it easy and just see how everything rides out well you're about to dive into another big musical aren't you I am yeah I think so I'm just in discussions with the lovely right. people at Moulin Rouge so there's only so much one person can do <laughs> you yeah, know absolutely. Um, so I think maybe in the future we might but also I'm just really happy with it just kind of rocking along I might do a Ballarat one I was thinking Wouldn't maybe that be great? a long yeah. one yeah I think they would be places that would really love Glee Club yeah. and really embrace it. So. Well, Chookers. Um, Thanks. Onward and upward. Yeah, absolutely. You'll have to come for a sing next time you're in town. I would love to. I would love yes. to. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vicky, it's been lovely um, catching up with you again. Nice to see you. And, you too. Um, thanks for this chat and, and uh, let's all sing. Yay. Thanks, Pete. If you're in Melbourne or Hobart, do seek out Glee Club. It's a fine way to be nourished by song, especially if you have a busy week. Check out www.gleeclubsinging.com. My guest today, Vicky Jacobs. You've been listening to Stages with Peter Ayers. Please take some time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And remember, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Wooshka, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast listening. Let your friends know too. Check out the Stages website at www.stagespodcast.com.au. Thanks for joining us. I'll catch you next time.